Welcome to the 425th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. One more weekend until Brazo Bend 50 miler. Got another one coming up. So we've had some cool weather here in Florida. It's been nice training, but uh, the high 80s are coming in the next few days, and I think it's going to be hot in Texas. So it'll give us time to practice taking in nutrition in hot weather. So it's always good. Um, little chance of rain, but who knows uh, between now and then. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I think I'm ready as I can be. I haven't fallen down, knock on wood, in the last uh, couple of months. So um, I'm ready to roll. And then after that, we'll be full bore ahead training for the Silver Rush 50-mile race in Leadville in July. So I can't wait for that to happen. In looking at Leadville Post and things, I came across a man on mental training named Travis Macy. And Travis is going to actually join, he and his father are going to join me next week because he has a new book out, not only on mental training, but this book is called A Mile at a Time. And it is a chronicle of his dad's journey with Alzheimer's. Um, Mark Macy is Mark Macy is a um, prolific endurance racer. He's been in eco challenges. Um, you know, he's synom- synonymous with endurance athlete uh, events uh, ranging from day races and eco challenges and on and on and on. And we'll talk more about that. But he was diagnosed um, at an early age, around 60, with Alzheimer's. And he and his son, uh, Mark, are being very open about his progress and how it's affecting him and the things that he is doing to manage his Alzheimer's and to keep moving forward. And it's a very touching book. Um, They're, again, quite candid and open about a topic that a lot of times people are reluctant to talk about. Um, I think it's going to be a great interview. Um, I um, strongly encourage you to listen to this one coming up next week. It'll probably try to get it up next week. Um, it's particularly, uh, it's probably going to be a tough interview for me because my father passed secondary to Alzheimer's and a lot of things in the book remember, uh, kind of triggered, um, experiences that I had with my dad growing up in the closest we had. And, um, it was a little different for me, uh, with my dad having Alzheimer's, my parents live in the same house. They have their own apartment, but they live, live in this, under the same roof as I do. So it made it easier to care for my dad. My mom actually was undergoing treatment for lymphoma part of the time. Uh, She successfully beat that, um, but my dad ultimately succumbed to Alzheimer's. And um, uh, it was difficult being a daughter and a physician. Um, I wasn't his neurologist primarily, uh, but I was the doctor of the family and looked upon to do something. And it was very frustrating when at times... And ultimately, there was nothing I could do. But I think, um, you know, I look back on our last days together very fondly. And I think that Mark, uh, in his chronicle with his dad, will, is also looking, you know, looking at the beauty of preserving a relationship that you have with someone with Alzheimer's. And, you know, maybe it's such that. Um, the person with Alzheimer's just lets somebody else carry the short-term memory for a while because the memories always go on. 
and people will always have the memories. And so it's nice to be able to share and enjoy day to day. And I think if any, anything can be taken away from his story, and, and of course we'll, we'll talk about it more, is that you know every day is precious and, and we should enjoy every day. Not worry so much about tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow brings, but make, making the best out of today and giving it all you got. So they're endurance athletes giving it all they got still. Uh, I'm an endurance athlete giving it all I've got still, and um, that's the way we're going to roll. Um, so that's that'll be next week. So I um, hope you'll tune in for that. Published this week was a paper on um, obesity and a little bit of an argument back and forth on genetics versus environment. Um, certainly there's a role of genetics in obesity, um, but you can say have genes changed that much over the past 20 years because there's been a market rise in the actually more than 20 years, but uh, probably since the 80s in the incidence of obesity in especially the United States population. And has our genetics changed? Probably not, but um, our environment certainly has changed with the more fast foods, more energy-dense foods, more availability of poor-quality foods, so that people that have a genetic tendency, um, be it to extract more energy from food perhaps, have a greater hunger drive, less satiety drive, certainly it makes it more difficult for these people in the environment that we live in today. Um, the problem with food is that you've got to eat some, and so it's hard to control what you eat. And um, I think, you know, one of the things that I look at with most lifestyle diseases is it's multifactorial, meaning that there's nothing really happens in isolation. There's more than one reason for things to occur. And again, in the incidence of obesity, if uh, people were eating like they did in the 60s and there wasn't the fast food and there was limited amounts of processed food, certainly the control uh, would be a lot easier. And, you know, I think sometimes the, the media, everybody plays, everybody plays a role in trying to make people feel perhaps good about their bad habits. But, you know, um, I guess some foods just some people can't eat. Um, probably some foods no one should eat. But certainly it takes, the some foods take their toll on some people to a much greater extent. And I think that occurs with obesity as well as cancer, as well as heart disease. So we all are individuals to some degree, um, but the food that we're exposed to is just about how much of a bad food that you can tolerate. Um, and maybe the wisest choice would be to try to avoid some of these bad foods altogether for all of us. And even when you look in the context of um, Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's is often labeled type 3 diabetes, uh, and that certainly glucose metabolism in the brain might be as bad as um, the accumulation of um, tangles and tau and different amyloid fibers. So again, it's most Alzheimer's, most dementia are multifactorial. Uh, whether there's a vascular impairment, um, people throw sugar under the bus, they hook sugar and carbohydrates together, and, you know, this thought is, should we be eating a high-fat diet? Um, but again, the 
etiology of diabetes is the impairment of glucose absorption, secondary the receptor being blocked with fat. And if you look at brain health, uh, certainly there's a cholesterol component to it. So um, especially when you look at microvascular disease, um, increased fat, decreased uh, glucose metabolism. So it, it kind of all goes together uh, and that a healthy diet is going to be helpful in the prevention of dementia and Alzheimer's um, much more than these fringe diets, you know, high fat and uh, watching out for sugar altogether. Our brain runs on carbohydrate. We just need to figure out how to make the brain of people with dementia use the carbohydrates better. So uh, a lot of research going on, um, you know, and we'll talk about uh, some of the options for treatment um, but I'm still of the mindset that a plant-based diet and, and new studies are, are coming out all the time showing that a plant-based diet is still very much beneficial and certainly not harmful uh, to people with uh, dementia. So uh, I'm sure that's going to come up next week to some degree. I heard an endurance athlete talking about his digestion problems and his indigestion that he's had from an uh, early age, and it brought up um, what crosses my physician's door path, doorway, uh, almost on a daily basis, uh, and was personal for me, is the intake of oil and indigestion. Um, oil can really lead to a lot of inflammation in, again, people that are predisposed, but a lot of people. And sometimes people think that, you know, as, as he did, that spicy foods are the cause, but it's really spicy foods in the presence of oil that uh, cause the problem. I know from a personal standpoint, a familial standpoint, my grandfather had indigestion, my mother had indigestion, I got indigestion, and so it was thought to be some sort of, you know, hereditary thing going on. But when I gave up oil, my indigestion went away, uh, and I could eat as hot and spicy foods as I could tolerate without, um, you know, sneezing and my nose running, and was able to get off of medications for indigestion. And my mother, at 80 years of age, when she gave up oil, was able to cure her indigestion and eat as spicy of foods as she wants. And numerous people that have come in the office with indigestion, um, I've not had a failure yet for people that got off of oils, especially processed oils, high fatty foods, uh, that their indigestion didn't go away. And if you've ever suffered from GERD, um, gastroesophageal reflux, um, it can feel like a heart attack and you can be pretty miserable with it. And a lot of people avoid a lot of good foods because of it. Um, but uh, I'll give you a hint, give up oil and it'll be all right. It's a main concern for me when I'm looking at running this long 100-mile races where people talk about you know, needing a little bit of a fat source um, to take in uh, for calories, to be able to get in enough calories to go the 100-mile distance. Um, and I'm thinking what fat I could take in that wouldn't cause indigestion uh, or low enough that it wouldn't cause me other problems. And um, it's pretty hard to come up with one, but I think avocado may be where I'm going to uh, look into because it's a monounsaturated fat for the most part. And so I'll probably try to use some of that with carbohydrates uh, because avocado doesn't seem to bother me like a processed oil would. 
Um, I don't eat a lot of bars that have a lot of oil in them because those can cause me indigestion. A lot of the gels that have nut butters in cause me indigestion or added coconut oil can cause me indigestion. So um, if you suffer from GI issues, you might want to look at the added oils into things that are causing, causing you problems. One thing I haven't talked about much is soy. And um, there was a recent review of the literature concerning soy products that was quite extensive and I found fight, uh, quite interesting. A um, few tidbits that um, I really didn't um, know the nitty-gritty details on, so I'd like to share with you. Um, you know, first of all, when we look at soy, I'm going to lump it all together, whether it's uh, tempeh, tofu, miso, soybean oil, soy protein isolate. Most of the studies lump a lot of those together when they look at them. Um, some break them down into their various uh, nutrient uh, co components, but a lot of them overall look at just people's soy intake in general. Um, but certainly soy products are a great source of protein. Uh, you know, when people are worried about you getting adequate protein because you're on this plant-based diet, soy is um, the highest, especially soybeans, the highest bean uh, amount of protein per serving. Uh, they're also equivalent to meat servings when it comes to protein intake. So, um, you know, uh, that can be your answer to that question. Everybody gets wigged out about that word tofu or tempeh, but... Um, the reality of it is uh, the protein is um, very adequate and quite good and very well uh, digested. There are some people that argue that it's not a completely digestible protein, um, but those um, controversies have been largely laid to rest, uh, and it's, there's uh, no big governing body that, that thinks anything different than soybean. Soy protein is very digestible. Soy is one of the highest um, bean, uh, highest calcium-containing foods in the legume family, soybeans. Um, very good source of calcium, which leads to a decreased risk of osteoporosis, improved bone health. It's also a good source of uh, absorbable iron. Again, people are worried that on a plant-based diet that you will become anemic, but don't fail to realize that all iron comes from the ground, and plants have iron. Um, in a very adequate supply, and soybeans do extensively. Um, the other nutrients that are high in, in soy products are zinc and potassium and phosphorus. Again, all um, good minerals and nutrients um, that, can, that are readily absorbable. When we think about beans, sometimes we don't think about the carbohydrate portion of beans. Um, the beans certainly have a lot of protein in them, but they also have a carbohydrate, and the carbohydrate in soybeans is an oligosaccharide. And, you know, a carbohydrate's made up of carbon, hydrogen, and water, and they're just different length chains. And oligo means multiple chain or multiple um, glucose molecules hooked together. The starch is a uh, starchiose, is the main oligosaccharide in soybeans. And interestingly, it actually stimulates the growth of a good bacteria called bifidobacteria, and to the point where it's actually classified as a prebiotic. So, certainly, tempeh and miso have more because they're fermented. 
but any soy product is classified as a prebiotic because of the oligosaccharide that they contain. There is fat in um, soybeans, 10 to 15% saturated fat. Um, there is 19 to 41% monounsaturated fat. This varies on the processing of the soy product versus soybeans versus tempeh, et cetera. Um, most of the fat are polyunsaturated fatty acids in the form of omega-6s and omega-3s. Um, there's a lot of controversy with regard to omega-6s. Omega-6s ultimately go to make inflammatory, more inflammatory compounds, more clotting compounds than omega-3s. Omega-3s are more anti-inflammatory, anti-clotting. But the research uh, suggests that if a compound has a good ratio of omega-3s to omega-6, such as soybeans, about 1 to 7, um, that the risk of inflammation uh, goes way down and probably in the opposite direction. Um, so that is another uh, good aspect of soy consumption. Most people know about the isoflavones uh, in soy products. Um, it's one of the reasons um, why it's thought that Japanese and Asians have more, or I'm sorry, less um, breast cancer, prostate cancer than um, U.S. and European counterparts. Interestingly, the consumption of isoflavones in Japan is about 30 to 50 milligrams per day. In the U.S., it's less than three milligrams per day. So, um, you know, our diet is truly lacking in these very protective um, phytonutrients. The more something is fermented, the more isoflavones it has. Um, some people um, worry that they're more of an estrogen modulator and will stimulate estrogen growth, particularly in breast cancers, but they bind mainly to a beta estrogen receptor. Um, they're more of an estrogen blocker, per se, and that the uh, overall decrease, uh, the overall decrease the risk of breast and uterine cancer. Um, there's no adverse effect in the thyroid. If someone is taking thyroid replacement, um, since uh, the soy products can decrease the absorption of the medication, so you should take the medication on an empty stomach anyway. But as long as you're eating your tofu egg sandwich a few hours after you take your thyroid medicine, you shouldn't be have any problems. Interestingly, soy decreases total cholesterol, as well as um, low-density LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, somewhere around 3 to 5%. Doesn't seem like much, but that is more than statins for the most part. When you look at a statin study and they say there's a 30 to 40% reduction, they are looking at absolute risk reduction, not, or they're looking at relative, not absolute reduction. There's about a 5% decrease in triglycerides. There's an increase in good cholesterol, HDL, about 1 to 3%. So very effective in um, improving a lipid profile. They've also been noted to lower blood pressure uh, by 2 to 5 millimeters of mercury um, systolic pressure, which can be um, very substantial. Um, and with that, the risk of overall um, coronary um, health, uh, or I should say cardiac heart disease um, events, uh, about a 5 to 9% reduction and about a 6 to 14% reduction in um, strokes. So, again, very protective from the cardiovascular standpoint. 
If you look at endothelial function, that's the blood vessel's ability to make nitric oxide and dilate. Um, that also improves with soy intake, decrease arterial stiffness. So as we get older, the arteries start to be stiff. They don't make as much, the endothelium doesn't make as much nitric oxide. Blood pressure goes up. Soy helps to combat that. One of the things you may have had me uh, measured, uh, C-reactive protein that looks at total body inflammation. Soy, soy consumption has been shown to decrease C-reactive protein. So when I'm saying all these things, not only am I saying, you say, well, maybe it doesn't do it that much, but the, the fact of the matter is the bad markers are going down, the protective effect is going up versus, I'll say, uh, red meat, where we know that there's no protective benefit. So nobody says go out, except a few carnivore people out there that are out of their minds, go out and eat a bunch of red meat to improve your overall risk and decrease your risk of cancer. It just, it's not, it's not out there. So not only does soy products not increase risk of bad things, but we're seeing a decrease in the risk of bad things happening. There was a study looking at the thickness of carotid artery, the intima or the endothelial um, thickness of the wall of the carotid artery, also shown to decrease with increased soy consumption. Um, this was most advantageous in postmenopausal women. Uh, in, in the postmenopausal, uh, especially early postmenopausal um, time period, is where women see the uh, steepest rise of vascular events and carotid disease and intimal thickening. So this combats that. So, you know, um, taking in soy products is a great um, menopause medication. It also lowers the incidence of hot flashes. Uh, decreases the risk of breast cancer. So there's really not a better drug to, or a better food to start taking if you don't actively eat a lot of soy than um, at the time of menopause. When people have had a stroke and they've looked at neuro, neuron damage, uh, permanent damage to the nerves, they've also noted that um, the increase of soy products is uh, associated with decreased um, uh, persistent nerve damage. So that's another good thing. Bone health. Um, people worry about osteoporosis. 33% um, in decreased fracture rate uh, with increased soy taking. Uh, also uh, improved bone turnover, which is you're taking down old bone, laying down new bone, which is very protective, increases with soy intake. Um, the calcium uptake in bone is increased with soy uh, intake. So again, overall bone health in multiple ways is improved with soy intake. So soybeans, miso, tempeh, tofu, uh, soy milk, whatever, you know, whatever your uh, passion is. Uh, again, breast cancer, especially earlier in life, uh, associated with a 25 to 60% reduction in breast cancer. So if you have a granddaughter, if you have a daughter, um, they should be in taking in um, a lot of soy products. You get rid of the almond milk, give them soy milk. Get rid of the meat, give them uh, tofu. Get rid of um, you know, make soy yogurt. Any way you can get soy into young girls is very protective against breast cancer. Add that onto the improved microbiome and possible risk, decreased risk of obesity. Uh, you're tremendously affecting um, the risk uh, of breast cancer in young girls. 
If someone has breast cancer, uh, the invasiveness of reoccurrence is much less. Uh, the five-year prognosis in breast cancer is improved with soy intake. Um, there was a pretty large study with 11,000 women, decreased recurrence of breast cancer, decreased mortality associated with um, uh, soy intake. It actually amplifies tamoxifen. It doesn't inhibit tamoxifen if taken with it. Uh, there was a couple studies that showed it to be as an equivalent of tamoxifen. Um, decrease in metastatic prostate cancer. Less stress as far as a protein on kidney function. We know that people that have renal insufficiency, uh, the more protein they take in, um, the quicker they get to have a need for dialysis. Not so in the case of soy protein. So it's a good way for um, kidney failure patients or patients with uh, decreased kidney function to actually protect their kidneys. And last, but certainly not least, is skin health. Uh, decrease in wrinkles, uh, improved elasticity, uh, improved water retention into the skin, decrease in pigmentation as far as, um, you know, those age spot things. Um, actually, an improvement of hair follicles. So if you're losing your hair, eat more soy. Um, so, you know, there's, there's really not a downside to eating soy. Um, they even looked at soybean oil, which 40% um, of isoflavones taken in in the United States comes from soybean oil and products. The thing you have to watch out for is genetically modified soybean oil. So when, you're, when you get a bar or something that has soybean oil, make sure it's a, a non-GMO uh, organic type of product. Same way with tofu. Most of the tofu is uh, non-GMO and organic, but, um, you know, make sure that that is uh, part of it, which should be part of every vegetable that you eat. Um, you want to avoid genetically modified uh, so that they're decreasing your um, consumption of pesticides and Roundup that will ultimately affect your microbiome. So all good news when it comes to soy. Um, personally, I am a... Um, Fan of tofu, tempeh, and soy milk are my three biggies, how I, uh, what I take in. I don't eat as much tempeh as I like. Uh, there's some, my mom's not a real big fan of the fermentation taste of it. So we probably eat more tofu. I like to make, um, if, if you do creamy fillings or cheese sauces with, uh, or even uh, mousses and puddings with the silken tofu, so you can make desserts. You're getting your kids uh, a healthy treat. Um, put some cacao powder in there um, and um, makes a great pudding, a, a great, uh, great filling for stuffed shells without the cacao powder, obviously. Um, so there's, there's multiple ways to use the, the silken tofu. Um, you know, the extra firm, you can make crumbles and put it in, you know, uh, in soups. Uh, it can be, it can be um, you know, baked to make it crunchy on the outside. It can be added to stir fries. We like tofu egg sandwich. I believe that is my invention um, where I take a slice of tofu and marinate it in um, mustard, garlic, turmeric, a little cumin, maybe a little smoked paprika, and a little bit of... Um, sulfurized salt, um, and that gives it the eggy type flavor. And I'll just dry fry that and serve it on a piece of sourdough bread with tomato, sprouts, greens, and a little avocado. 
great brunch uh, or great breakfast for dinner, uh, as Addie would say. So that's one way. Um, but we uh, do eat a lot of uh, tofu in our house. Um, and it's nice to note that it's good for you in a variety of different ways. My dessert uh, each evening uh, is soy milk with frozen banana and frozen blueberries and a little cacao powder that makes a uh, chocolatey soft serve. So I like that a whole lot. Get my blueberries in for my brain health and diabetes health as well as my soy milk. So those are my soy tips for today. I'm going to cut this podcast short because, again, next week's going to be pretty long and in-depth. So I um, will eventually do a race report on Brazos uh, at some point. And next week is um, the, Macy, the Macy boys. And like I said, I look forward to uh, talking to them about ultra running as well as alt- predominantly Alzheimer's and um, their new book. So thank you for listening. See you next week.